the Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their, notes and follow, their nets and followed Jesus. As Jesus went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. So I'm back from the pulpit. It's strange to be in there. I feel like I have walls around me, and I, I operate better out in the open. I, uh, I love this passage. All through Advent, I have been using pieces of this particular Gospel throughout so that I could tie some things together. And now that we're in Epiphany, I actually get this as a reading, and this is Mark 1.14. And remember what's happened in Mark 1. So far, Jesus was baptized. Jesus alone heard a voice, which meant that everyone else was watching Jesus do something like this. Wow! Fascinating, right? And then, immediately, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, and to fast and to pray and all those other things. And now, Jesus has come back. And remember, Jesus has yet to speak a single word in the Gospel of Mark. All the lines of dialogue so far, I believe, have been spoken by John, and the rest of it was written by Mark, who couldn't get through fast enough. And so here we are in Mark 1, chapter, or Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And what happens? Jesus leaves the wilderness. He goes and looks out over the city. And he says to everyone in earshot, the kingdom of God has come near. The time is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And I, I hear this. And I love this. Because Jesus is speaking this good news that the kingdom of God is near, not into a world where everything is going well, but into a world where everything feels like it's falling apart for the people of God. Remember that the people of God right now are occupied by Rome. The people of God right now are occupied by an army that they cannot defeat. The people of God right now are are seeking shelter wherever they can find it from the Roman taxes, the Roman authority, the Roman oppression. And even though they set up, you know, figurehead governors over them to keep peace and order, and they typically don't bother people as long as they give them money and as long as they aren't causing too much trouble. And they even let a Jewish figurehead and Herod, you know, sit on the throne in Jerusalem and rule over his people. And yet... This is a people in bondage, even though it may be gilt cages with finery as shackles. You never feel free when your own nation is being occupied by an outside force. 
and it's in this space, the space where Rome is real, the space where Pontius Pilate is governor, the space where Herod, a Jew, is someone who has more loyalty because he values his head to Rome at this point than he does to his own people. At least that's the way the story goes. And we have to take what we have rather than, you know, what anything else. But at least that's the way the story goes. Maybe Herod gets a bad rap. But I, I imagine that if Herod were a brave and a good king, perhaps that wouldn't have lasted very long because in the Roman Empire, brave leaders tend to die early deaths. It's part of the reason we have Good Friday. And so we see Herod. And so we see Rome. And so we see a people who also feel put upon by their temple system because the temple system has been operating not just in the normal way that the Jewish system operated, which is part government, part faith, but the temple operates also under the permission and auspices of the Roman authority. And so there are some senses in which even the priests are helping to keep the people in line. And this is true of a church under the rule of empire everywhere. That when you see the church too cozy with the empire, then the church cannot be effective. And the reason the church cannot be effective when we are too cozy with empire is because once we get comfortable, we're afraid of losing comfort. And we're more afraid of losing what we have sometimes than of what happens to our hearts when we worship a false god. The kingdom of God is at hand. Time's up. Repent and believe the good news. You know, these words were not spoken to a people who never stumbled. These words weren't spoken to a people who never had problems. These words weren't spoken to a people who was always faithful. These words were spoken to a people who, when God had led them through the waters of the sea, and those waters had crashed back down upon Pharaoh's army, I suspect God about 10, 15 minutes down the road, and somebody started to say, I'm a little hungry. I'm hungry too. Moses, when's lunch? And then the real grumbling started because all of a sudden they were hot and they were thirsty. And who knows? I don't know how much time they had to pack. Maybe they had to leave quickly and didn't have time to bring supplies. And people started saying, Moses, did you bring us out here into the desert? We could have died back in Egypt. And at least we would have died with full bellies. Why would you bring us out here to die? Do something. And so we get manna, and then they complain they don't have meat, and so they get quails, and then they complain they don't have water. So Moses strikes the rock, and through the power of God, water comes from the rock, and God's people are fed and fed meat and water. And they go to the base of the mountain where they had followed the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and we see that kind of big movie you know, lightning striking the Ten Commandments tablets and etched in stone and Moses goes down and what does he find? But the people have melted down their jewelry to worship a fertility god because nothing says we've been delivered from slavery like building an altar to a fertility god, right? 
we see this people who God has saved from slavery, who God has led through the desert, who God has fed, who God has not allowed to wander, but instead had them follow this fickle flock already is worshiping other gods. The kingdom of God is at hand. Time is up. Repent and believe the good news. And through all of this, we learn something about God. What we learn about God, I think, is that, you know, we, we see God's response. First of all, it's kind of righteous anger. Well, any, anything that God does is righteous, but you know what I mean. Like, God's first response is, your people did this, Moses. Look what your people are doing. I'm going to strike these people down, and we're going to start over. And Moses says, they're not my people, God. They're your people. Remember what you promised. You promised that you would lead these people into the promised land. You promised that you would be their God, and they would be their people. You promised them and made a covenant with them. That you would never abandon them. These are your people, God. And we have in the Hebrew something that's really interesting. God changes God's mind. It's the word, I believe it is shuv. It's the word that we use for repent. God repents of the anger and turns towards something different. And in Deuteronomy, when we see the commandments presented to the people, we see the first commandment set up in this way. I am the Lord your God who delivered you from Egypt, who led you out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Not a declaration of anger. Not a declaration of, a declaration of intent. It's not a campaign promise. This is a holy reminder about what God already has done. I am the Lord your God who led you out of the house of who led you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And now you shall have no other gods before you. It's in light of this covenant that Jesus stands before the city and says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And I hear this word repent, and I remind some of y'all who have heard me preach before, and like before, before. There may be somebody who's been around a while, and hi. Um, but I also think it's important that as we're learning each other, and you're learning how I preach and what my theology looks like, this is a central piece of my own theology, that the word repent is a word of covenant, the word repent is a word of hope, the word repent is a word that draws us out of ourselves and into the space where God is because the word repent is a word that literally means to turn away from something and turn towards something else. That's what God did on the mountain. God turned away from wrath and turned toward loving covenant. And if God does that, how dare we not? Repent is not a word to beat people with, as we often see in our culture with the guy with the sign who's got the fiery letters. Repent is a word of invitation. Turn away from the things that are killing you. Turn away from the things that are hurting you. Turn away from the things that hold you down and hold you back. Turn away from the things that make you hurt. 
Turn away from the things that wound your heart because they separate you from the people around you. Turn away from the ways that you wound yourself because you feel unworthy or you feel afraid or you feel ashamed. In the same way that Adam and Eve, when they recognized their nakedness, hid from the eyes of the Lord. When we live in unrepented and unrepentant sin, our instinct is to hide from the eyes of the one who is creating us. And it's through repentance that we learn to turn away from that shame and that pain and that hurt and those problems and the different things that control us so that we might turn toward the one whose love for us has never ended. So that we might turn toward the one who is leading us out of the house of our slavery to sin so that we might follow the one whose love creates and recreates us anew every day as we wake up and remember the waters of baptism that brought us into this family. And how do we respond to this news? I know what James and John did. James and John heard Jesus say, follow me. And they dropped those nets that they were mending and they said, see you later, Dad, and they went. Now who knows? Zebedee may have been a hard guy to get along with. I believe in other Gospels, these are referred to as the sons of thunder. You know, maybe that's the thunderous voice of their father. Or, or maybe it's the, the, the oppressive expectation of following in their father's footsteps when they had in their hearts this desire to follow the word of God where it might lead. Or perhaps it's simply that they'd heard something about this Jesus who was preaching in the style of John. They wanted in on the ground floor. Maybe there was just something in hearing follow me that they recognized that spoke to their hearts and told them that this is so important that we cannot finish our day. We have to drop our nets and go and risk the anger and disappointment of our father in the process. Because sometimes when Jesus calls, we have to let the dead bury their own. And if we stick with the dead, then it's awfully hard to dwell with the living. Repent and believe the good news that we are not dead in our sins, but we are alive in new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that that same new life that God works through the empty tomb is the work that God is working in our hearts so that we may hear the gospel and know that when Jesus says, follow me, Jesus is calling us out those dead places in our hearts that are so broken we wonder whether we can ever leave them behind and speaking life anew into those spaces within us as well because the good news of the kingdom of God is that while we may mourn and that everything old has passed away we rejoice in that everything has become new so what do we do in response to this good news? I mean, like, we could be the, like the Ninevites. Remember, Jonah went with this message that says, 30 days more and everything's going to be over. See you later. Sayonara. No more you. And the Ninevites heard this and took it seriously. And so they repented and they put on sackcloth and, and covered themselves in ashes and they fasted and they prayed and they did all these repentant acts and God being God who loves them 
who loved them enough to drag Jonah along against his will so that he could preach this gospel to them unwillingly. That God relented in punishing. Because that's what love does. I guess we could respond like Jonah. You know, Jesus says, follow me, and say, Jesus, look over there, and then run this way. You know, and hop the nearest ship to the next port over. And Isn't it interesting that those times in our lives where we try to run away from the calling of God, we always get pulled back in. I jokingly say that the reason I'm a pastor is because I managed to lose money doing landscaping in Columbia, South Carolina during the summer when I had so much work I couldn't do it all. Now, there are reasonable reasons for this. But it was my last and my last-ditch attempt while I was in seminary to get out of this calling. When I saw time and time again that everything I tried to do that didn't lead me here failed and failed badly and failed quickly. Might not have looked like a whale, but it sure felt like it cost one. We could react like Jonah who after the Ninevites had repented and there was much rejoicing, yea, went and planted himself under a bush that got out in the hot sun and God caused a bush to grow over him. And Jonah said something along the lines of, God, I knew that you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that you're merciful. You could have been abounding with steadfast love and merciful and slow to anger without dragging me all this way out here. I don't even like these Ninevites, and I knew, I knew, I knew that you were going to forgive them. It's not fair. It's not fair that you brought me out here. It's not fair that you drug me away from my home. It's not fair that you made me leave my family. It's not fair. And we can respond to God this way. It is not fair that you put a calling on my life so that I had... So that I might follow your will and not my own. I had plans, God. I had things I wanted to do, God. I had places I wanted to go, God. We don't know what happens to Jonah, really. We know that God causes a worm to go and eat the root of the, of the bush that had grown up over him. And the bush dies overnight and the hot sun comes back up. And Jonah says, just kill me now, God. And God says... Jonah, are you still angry? Angry enough to die. And God says, if you're so angry about the loss of this bush that you didn't plant or water or nourish or labor over in any way, imagine just how much it hurts me to think of losing all those people who I did plant and water and tend to. Time is now kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That God is calling you to a purpose. That you're not here by accident. That what God has put in your heart is something that only you uniquely can do. Even though your talents and abilities and skills and knowledge might be so similar to everyone else's, we're all mixed up just a little bit differently. And only you can be you. So when you hear this week, the time is at hand and the kingdom of God has come near. 
Repent and believe the good news. From what do you need to turn away? What is it in your heart or in your life that you just have not been able to put down but you need to? How is it that you're looking back into that place where you were just a little while ago and saying, well, at least back there I wasn't hungry. I don't know what we're going to find out here. What is it that you're in the process of leaving behind that you recognize you can only trust God to complete? How is it that you hear the good news of God's love and God's welcome and God's hope and God's kingdom this week so that you might live into it anew and share it with those around you? Amen.